8. His works, most of which are lacking in form. Contemporary with these men was a group of portrait painters who gained celebrity perhaps as much by their subjects as by their own powers. They were facile flatterers given over to the pomps of the rain and mirroring all its absurdities of fashion. Their work has a graceful, smooth appearance, and, for its time, it was undoubtedly excellent portraiture. Even to this day it has qualities of drawing and coloring to commend it, and at times one meets with exceptionally good work. The leaders among these portrait painters were Philip de Champagne 1602-1674, the best of his time, Pierre Mignard 1610-1695, a pupil of the wit, who studied in Rome and afterward returned to France to become the successful rival of Lebrun, Large Oliera 1656-1746 and Rigaud 1659-1743, 18th century painting. The painting of Louis XIV. Single quote as time was continued into the 18th century for some 15 years or more with little change. With the advent of Louis XV, art took upon itself another character, and one that reflected perfectly the moral, social, and political France of the 18th century. The first Louis clamored for glory, the second Louis reveled in gaiety, frivolity, and sensuality. This was the difference between both monarchs and both arts. The gay and the coquettish in painting had already been introduced by the regent, himself a dilettante in art, and when Louis XV came to be thrown at passage from the gay to the insipid, the flippant, even the erotic, shepherds and shepherdesses dressed in court silks and satins with cockney sheep beside them posed in stage set Arcadias, pretty gods and goddesses reclined indolently upon gossamer clouds, and court gallants lounged under artificial trees by artificial ponds making love to pretty sabrettes from the theatre. Yet, in spite of the lack of moral and intellectual elevation, in spite of frivolity and make-believe, this art was infinitely better than the pompous imitation of foreign example set up by Louis XIV. It was more spontaneous, more original, more French. The influence of Italy began to fail, and the painters began to mirror French life. It was largely court life, lively, vivacious, licentious, but in that very respect characteristic of the time. Moreover. There was another quality about it that showed French taste at its best the decorative quality. It can hardly be supposed that the fairy creations of the age were intended to represent actual nature. They were designed to ornament hall and boudoir, and in pure decorative delicacy of design, lightness of touch, color charm, they had never been excelled. The serious spirit was lacking, but the gaiety of line and color was well given. Watto 1684-1721 was the one chiefly responsible for the coquette and soubrette of French art, and Watto was, practically speaking, the first French painter. His subjects were trifling bits of fashionable love-making, scenes from the opera, fates, balls, and the like. All his characters played at life in parks and groves that never grew, and most of his color was beautifully unreal, but for all that the work was original, decorative, and charming. Moreover. Watto was a brushman, and introduced not only a new spirit and new subject into art, but a new method. The epic treatment of the Italians was laid aside in favor of a genre treatment, and instead of line and flat surface Watto introduced color and cleverly laid pigment. He was a brilliant painter, not a great man in thought or imagination, but one of fancy, delicacy, and skill. Unfortunately he set a bad example by his gay subjects and those who came after him carried his gaiety and lightness of spirit into exaggeration. Watto's best pupils were Lankwit 1690-1743 and Thater 1695-1736, who painted in his style with fair results, 
After these men came Van Lu 1705-1765 and Boucher 1703-1770, who turned Watto's charming fates, showing the costumes and manners of the Regency, into flippant extravagance. Not only was the moral tone and intellectual stamina of their art far below that of Watto, but their workmanship grew defective. Both men possessed a remarkable facility of the hand and a keen decorative color sense, but after a time both became stereotyped and mannered. Drawing and modeling were neglected, light was wholly conventional, and landscape turned into a piece of embroidered background with a Dresden China tapestry effect about it. As decoration the general effect was often excellent. As a serious expression of life it was very weak. As an intellectual or moral force it was worse than worthless. Fragonard 1732-1806 followed in a similar style, but was a more knowing man, clever in color, and a much freer and better brushman. A few painters in the time of Louis Exby, remained apparently unaffected by the court influence, and stand in conspicuous isolation. Claude Joseph Barnett 1712-1789 was a landscape and marine painter of some repute in his time. He had a sense of the pictorial, but not a remarkable sense of the truthful in nature. Chardin 1699-1779 and Grus 1725-1805, clung to portrayals of humble life and sought to popularize the genre subject. Chardin was not appreciated by the masses. His frank realism, his absolute sincerity of purpose, his play of light and its effect upon color, and his charming handling of textures were comparatively unnoticed. Yet as a colorist he may be ranked second to none in French art and in freshness of handling his work as a model for present-day painters. Diderot early recognized Chardin's excellence, and many artists since his day have admired his pictures, but he is not now a well-known or popular painter. The populace fancies Gruz and his sentimental heads of young girls. They have a prettiness about them that is attractive, but as art they lack in force, and in workmanship they are too smooth, cynical, and thin in handling. Principal works all of these French painters are best represented in the collections of the Louvre. Some of the other galleries, like the Dresden, Berlin, and National at London, have examples of their work, but the masterpieces are with the French people in the Louvre and in the other municipal galleries of France. Chapter XII. French Painting. The 19th Century. Books recommended, as before. Stranahan. L. Also Belieray. Henry Regnault, blank. L's artists Demon Temps, blank. Histoire des painters français OXIX Nicicla, blank. Ingres et son over, bigot. Painters français contemporains, Breton. Loviden artiste English translation, Brown L. French art, Bertie. Maîtres et petit maîtres, Chesnia. Painter français OXIX Nicicla, Clement. Aides sur L's beaux arts en France, Clement. Proudhon, Delaborde. Over de Paul Delaroque, Delacluse. Jacques Louis David, Son Ecole, et Son Temps, Durant, Els Painters Francais en 1867, Gautier, Lord Modern, Gautier, me Gantz, Eugene Fromanin, Homerton, Contemporary French Painting, Homerton, Painting in France after the Decline of Classicism, Henley, Memorial Catalogue of French and Dutch Loan Collection 1886, Henriette, Charles Daubigny et Son Over, Lee Normand, Els Artists Contemporains, Lee Normand, Harry Schiffer, Mersan, Ingres, Savai et Son Over, Moreau, De Camp et Son Over, Planche, Aides sur la Colle Française, Robot et Chesnia, El Over Complet Eugene Delacroix, Sensier, Theodore Rousseau, Sensier, Life and Works of J.F. Millet, Sylvester, 
Historia des Artists Vivants et Entremers, Strahan, Modern French Art, for Lord Contemporain, Fiat, Jules Bastien Lepage, Van Dyck, Modern French Masters, The Revolutionary Time, in considering this century's art in Europe, it must be remembered that a great social and intellectual change has taken place since the days of the Medici. The power so long pent up in Italy during the Renaissance finally broke and scattered itself upon the Western nations, societies and states were torn down and rebuilded. Political, social, and religious ideas shifted into new garbs, the old order passed away. Religion as an art motive, or even as an art subject, ceased to obtain anywhere. The church failed as an art patron, and the walls of cloister and cathedral furnished no new Bible readings to the unlettered, painting from being a necessity of life, passate into a luxury, and the king, the state, or the private collector became the patron. Nature and actual life were about the only sources left from which original art could draw its materials. These had been freely used, but not so much in a national as in an individual manner. The tendency today is not to put forth a universal conception but an individual belief. Individualism the same quality that appeared so strongly in Michelangelo's art has become a keynote in modern work. It is not the only kind of art that has been shown in this century, nor is nature the only theme from which art has been derived. We must remember and consider the influence of the past upon modern men, and the attempts to restore the classic beauty of the Greek, Roman, and Italian, which practically ruled French painting in the first part of this century. French classicism of David this was a revival of Greek form in art, founded on the belief expressed by Winkelmann, that beauty lay in form, and was best shown by the ancient Greeks. It was the objective view of art which saw beauty in the external and tolerated no individuality in the artist except that which was shown in technical skill. It was little more than an imitation of the Greek and Roman marbles as types, with insistence upon perfect form, correct drawing, and balanced composition. In theme and spirit it was pseudo-heroic the incidents of Greek and Roman history forming the chief subjects, and in method it rather despised color, light and shade, and natural surroundings, it was elevated, lofty, ideal in aspiration, but coldly unsympathetic because lacking in contemporary interest, and, though correct enough in classic form, was lacking in the classic spirit, like all reanimated art, it was derivative as regards its forms and lacking in spontaneity. The reason for the existence of Greek art died with its civilization, and those, like the French classicists, who sought to revive it, brought a copy of the past into the present, expecting the world to accept it. There was some social, and perhaps artistic, reason, however, for the revival of the classic in the French art of the late 18th century. It was a revolt, and at that time revolts were popular. The art of Boucher and Van Loo had become quite unbearable. It was flippant, careless licentious, it had no seriousness or dignity about it, moreover, it smacked of the Bourbon monarchy, which people had come to hate, classicism was severe, elevated, respectable at least, and had the air of the heroic republic about it, it was a return to a sterner view of life, with the martial spirit behind it as an impetus, and it had a great vogue, for many years during the revolution, the consulate, and the empire, Classicism was accepted by the sovereigns and the Institute of France, and to this day it lives in a modified form in that semi-classic work known as academic art. The classic school, in 1716-1809 was the first painter to protest against the art of Boucher and Van Loo by advocating more nobility of form and a closer study of nature. He was, however, 
more devoted to the antique forms he had studied in Rhone than to nature. In subject and line his tendency was classic, with a leaning toward the Italians of the decadence. He lacked the force to carry out a complete reform in painting, but his pupil David 1748-1825 accomplished what he had begun. It was David who established the reign of classicism, and by native power became the leader. The time was appropriate. The revolution called for pictures of Romulus, Brutus and Achilles, and Napoleon encouraged the military theme. David had studied the marbles at Rome, and he used them largely for models, reproducing scenes from Greek and Roman life in an elevated and sculpturesque style, with much archaeological knowledge and a great deal of skill, in color, relief, sentiment, individuality. His painting was lacking. He despised all that, the rhythm of line, the sweep of composed groups, the heroic subject and the heroic treatment, made up his art. It was thoroughly objective and what contemporary interest it possessed lay largely in the martial spirit then prevalent. Of course it was upheld by the Institute, and it really set the pace for French painting for nearly half a century. When David was called upon to paint Napoleonic pictures he painted them under protest, and yet these, with his portraits, constitute his best work. In portraiture he was uncommonly strong at times. After the Restoration David, who had been a revolutionist, and then an adherent of Napoleon, was sent into exile, but the influence he had left and the school he had established were carried on by his contemporaries and pupils, of the former Regnault 1754-1829, Vincent 1746-1816, and Proudhon 1758-1823 were the most conspicuous, the last one was considered as out of the classic circle, but so far as making his art depend upon drawing and composition, he was a genuine classicist, his subjects, instead of being heroic, inclined to the mythological and the allegorical. In Italy he had been a student of the Renaissance painters, and from them borrowed a method of shadow gradation that rendered his figures misty and phantom-like. They possessed an ease of movement sometimes called Prudonis Grace, and in composition were well-placed and effective. Of David's pupils there were many, only a few of them, however, had pronounced ability, and even these carried David's methods into the theatrical. Guy Rodat 1766-1824 was a draftsman of considerable power, but with poor taste in color and little repose in composition. Most of his work was exaggeration and strained effect. Lethier 1760-1832 and Guerin 1774-1833, pupils of Regnault, were painters akin to Guy Rodat, but inferior to him. Girard 1770-1837 was a weak David follower who gained some celebrity by painting portraits of celebrated men and women. The two pupils of David who brought him the most credit were Ingres 1780-1867 and Gross 1771-1835. Ingres was a cold, persevering man, whose principles had been well settled by David early in life, and were adhered to with conviction by the pupil to the last. He modified the classic subject somewhat, studied Raphael and the Italians, and reintroduced the single figure into art the source, and the odalisk, for example, for color he had no fancy, in nature all is form, he used to say, painting he thought not an independent art, but a development of sculpture, to consider emotion, color, or light as the equal of form was monstrous, and to compare Rembrandt with Raphael was blasphemy, to this belief he clung to the end, faithfully reproducing the human figure and it is not to be wondered at that eventually he became a learned draftsman. His single figures and his portraits show him to the best advantage. 
he had a strong grasp of modeling and an artistic sense of the beauty and dignity of line not excelled by any artist of this century, and to him more than any other painter is due the cultured draftsmanship which is today the just pride of the French school. Gros was a more vacillating man, and by reason of forsaking the classic subject for Napoleonic battle pieces, he unconsciously led the way toward Romanticism. He excelled as a draftsman, but when he came to paint the field of Ilau and the pest of Jaffa he mingled color, light, air, movement, action, sacrificing classic composition and repose to a reality. This was heresy from the Davidian point of view, and David eventually convinced him of it. Gross returned to the classic theme and treatment, but soon after was so reviled by the changing criticism of the time that he committed suicide in the same. His art, however, was the beginning of Romanticism. The landscape painting of this time was rather academic and insympathetic. It was a continuation of the Claude Poussat tradition, and in its insistence upon line, grandeur of space, and imposing trees and mountains, was a fit companion to the classic figure piece. It had little basis in nature, and little in color or feeling to commend it. Wallet 1780-1866, Borden 1775-1842. Michael on 1796-1822, and Alini 1798-1871, were its exponents. A few painters seemed to stand apart from the contemporary influences. Madame Vigi Lebrun 1755-1842, a successful portrait painter of nobility, and Horace Barnett 1789-1863, a popular battle painter, many of whose works are to be seen at Versailles, were of this class. Romanticism the movement in French painting which began about 1822 and took the name of Romanticism was but a part of the storm and stress feeling that swept Germany, England, and France at the beginning of this century. Appearing first in literature and afterward in art, it had its origin in a discontent with the present, a passionate yearning for the unattainable, an intensity of sentiment, gloomy melancholy imaginings, and a desire to express the inexpressible. It was emphatically subjective, self-conscious a mood of mind or feeling, in this respect it was diametrically opposed to the academic and the classic, in French painting it came forward in opposition to the classicism of David, people had begun to weary of Greek and Roman heroes and their deeds, of impersonal line-bounded statuesque art, there was a demand for something more representative, spontaneous, expressive of the intense feeling of the time, the very gist of romanticism was passion, Freedom to express itself in what form it would was a condition of its existence. The classic subject was abandoned by the Romanticists for dramatic scenes of medieval and modern times. The romantic hero and heroine in scenes of horror, perils by land and sea, flame and fury, love and anguish, came upon the boards. Much of this was illustration of history, the novel, and poetry, especially the poetry of Good, Byron, and Scott. Line was slurred in favor of color. Symmetrical composition gave way to a wild disordered groups in headlong action, and atmospheres, skies, and lights were twisted and distorted to convey the sentiment of the story. It was thus, more by suggestion than realization, that Romanticism sought to give the poetic sentiment of life. Its position toward classicism was antagonistic, a rebound, a flying to the other extreme. One virtually said that beauty was in the Greek form, the other that it was in the painter's emotional nature. The disagreement was violent, and out of it grew the so-called romantic quarrel of the 1820s. Leaders of Romanticism, symptoms of the coming movement were apparent long before any open revolt. Gross had made innovations on the classic in his battle pieces, 
but the first positive descent from classic teachings was made in the Salon of 1819 by Jericho 1791-1824 with his raft of the Medusa. It represented the starving, the dead, and the dying of the Medusa's crew on a raft in mid-ocean. The subject was not classic. It was literary, romantic, dramatic, almost theatric in its seizing of the critical moment. Its theme was restless, harrowing, horrible. It met with instant opposition from the old men and applause from the young men. It was the trumpet note of the revolt. But Jericho did not live long enough to become the leader of Romanticism. That position fell to his contemporary and fellow pupil, Delacroix 1799-1863. It was in 1822 that Delacroix's first salon picture The Dante and Vargel appeared. A strange, ghost-like scene from Dante's Inferno. The black atmosphere of the netherworld. Weird faces. Weird colors, weird flames, and a modeling of the figures by patches of color almost savage as compared to the tinted drawing of classicism. Delacroix's youth saved the picture from condemnation, but it was different with his massacre of Syro two years later. This was decried by the classicists, and even Gross called it, the massacre of art. The painter was accused of establishing the worship of the ugly. He was no draftsman, had no selection, no severity, nothing but brutality. But Delacroix was as obstinate as in grace, and declared that the whole world could not prevent him from seeing and painting things in his own way. It was thus the quarrel started, the young men siding with Delacroix, the older men following David and in grace. In himself Delacroix embodied all that was best and strongest in the Romantic movement. His painting was intended to convey a Romantic mood of mind by combinations of color, light, air, and the like. In subject it was tragic and passionate like the poetry of Hugo, Myron, and Scott. The figures were usually given with English-rung brows, wild eyes, disheveled hair, and impetuous, contorted action. The painter never cared for technical details, seeking always to gain the effect of the whole rather than the exactness of the part. He purposely slurred drawing at times, and was opposed to formal composition. In color he was superior, though somewhat violent at times and in brushwork he was often labored and patchy. His strength lay in imagination displayed in color and in action. The quarrel between classicism and romanticism lasted some years, with neither side victorious. Delacroix won recognition for his view of art, but did not crush the belief in form which was to come to the surface again. He fought almost alone. Many painters rallied around him, but they added little strength to the new movement. De Maria 1805-1865 and Sean Martin 1797-1883 were highly thought of at first, but they rapidly degenerated. Cybelon 1788-1837, Cognette 1794-1880, Robert Fleury 1797, and Bulanger 1806-1867, were Romanticists, but achieved more as teachers than as painters. Delaroque 1797-1856 was an eclectic in fact founded a school of that name thinking to take what was best from both parties, inventing nothing. He profited by all invented. He employed the romantic subject and color, but adhered to classic drawing. His composition was good, his costume careful in detail, his brushwork smooth, and his storytelling capacity excellent. All these qualities made him a popular painter, but not an original or powerful one. Parisha for 1797-1858 was an illustrator of good and Byron, frail in both sentiment and color, a painter who started as a romanticist, but afterward developed line under Ingres, the Ori and Elias, 
in both literature and painting one phase of Romanticism showed itself in a love for the life, the light, the color of the Orient. From Paris to Camps 1803-1860 was the first painter to visit the East and paint Eastern life. He was a genre painter more than a figure painter, giving naturalistic street scenes in Turkey and Asia Minor, courts, and interiors, with great feeling for air, warmth of color, and light. At about the same time Marilla 1811-1847 was in Egypt picturing the life of that country in a similar manner, and later, Froman in 1820-1876, painter and writer, following Delacroix, went to Algiers and portrayed their Arab life with fast-flying horses, the desert air, sky, light, and color. Theodore Freire and Zine belong further on in the century, but were no less exponents of Romanticism in the East. Fifteen years after the starting of Romanticism the movement had materially subsided. It had never been a school in the sense of having rules and laws of art. Liberty of thought and perfect freedom for individual expression were all it advocated. As a result there was no unity, for there was nothing to unite upon, and with every painter painting as he pleased, regardless of law, extravagance was inevitable. This was the case. And when the next generation came in Romanticism began to be ridiculed for its excesses, a reaction started in favor of more line and academic training. This was first shown by the students of Delarocchi, though there were a number of movements at the time, all of them leading away from Romanticism. A recoil from too much color in favor of more form was inevitable, but Romanticism was not to perish entirely. Its influence was to go on, and to appear in the work of later men. Eclectics and transitional painters, after Ingres his follower Flandre in 1809-1864 was the most considerable draftsman of the time. He was not classic but religious in subject, and is sometimes called, the religious painter of France. He had a delicate beauty of line and a fine feeling for form, but never was strong in color, brushwork, or sentiment. His best work appears in his very fine portraits. Glare 1806-1874 was a man of classic methods but romantic tastes, who modified the heroic into the idyllic and mythologic. He was a sentimental daydreamer, with a touch of melancholy about the vanished past, appearing in Arcadian fancies, pretty nymphs, and idealized memories of youth. In execution he was not at all romantic, his color was pale, his drawing delicate, and his lighting misty and uncertain. It was the etherealized classic method, and this method he transmitted to a little band of painters called the New Greeks who, in point of time, belong much further along in the century, but in their art are with glare, their work never rose above the idyllic and the graceful, and calls for no special mention, Hamon 1821-1874 and Obert 1824 belonged to the band, and Jerome 1824 was at one time its leader, but he afterward emerged from it to a higher place in French art, where he will find mention hereafter. Couture 1815-1879 stood quite by himself, a mingling of several influences, his chief picture, the Romans of the Decadence, is classic in subject, romantic in sentiment and is very largely expressed by warmth of color, and rather realistic in natural appearance, he was an eclectic in a way, and yet seems to stand as the forerunner of a large body of artists who find classification hereafter under the title of the semi-classicists, principal works, all the painters mentioned in this chapter are best represented in the Louvre at Paris, at Versailles, and in the museums of the chief French cities. Some works of the late or living men may be found in the Luxembourg, where pictures bought by the state are kept for ten years after the painter's death. 
and then are either sent to the Louvre or to the other municipal galleries of France. Some pictures by these men are also to be seen in the Metropolitan Museum, New York, the Boston Museum, and the Chicago Art Institute. Chapter XIV. French Painting. The 19th Century Continued. Books Recommended. The Books Before Mentioned. Consult also General Bibliography. Page XV. The Landscape Painters. The influence of either the classic or romantic example may be traced in almost all of the French painting of this century. The opposed teachings find representatives in new men, and under different names the modified dispute goes on the dispute of the academic versus the individual, the art of form and line versus the art of sentiment and color, with the classicism of David not only the figure but the landscape setting of it, took on an ideal heroic character, trees and hills and rivers became supernaturally grand and impressive, everything was elevated by method to produce an imaginary Arcadia fit for the deities of the classic world. The result was that nature and the humanity of the painter passed out in favor of school formula and academic traditions. When romanticism came in this was changed, but nature falsified in another direction. Landscape was given an interest in human affairs, and made to look day or sad, peaceful or turbulent, as the day went well or ill with the hero of the story portrayed. It was, however, truer to the actual than the classic, more studied in the parts, more united in the whole. About the year 1830 the influence of Romanticism began to show in a new landscape art, that is to say, the emotional impulse springing from Romanticism combined with the study of the old Dutch landscapists, and the English contemporary painters, Constable and Boningen, set a large number of painters to the close study of nature and ultimately developed what has been vaguely called the Fon and Blow Barbizon School, this whole school was primarily devoted to showing the sentiment of color and light. It took nature just as it found it in the forest of Fondenblow, on the plain of Barbizon, and elsewhere, and treated it with a poetic feeling for light, shadow, atmosphere, color, that resulted in the best landscape painting yet known to us. Coro 1796-1875 Though classically trained under Borden, and though somewhat apart from the other men in his life, belongs with this group. He was a man whose artistic life was filled with the beauty of light and air. These he painted with great singleness of aim and great poetic charm. Most of his work is in a light silvery key of color, usually slight in composition, simple in masses of light and dark, and very broadly but knowingly handled with the brush. He began painting by using the minute brush, but changed it later on for a freer style which recorded only the great omnipresent truths and suppressed the small ones. He has never had a superior in producing the permeating light of morning and evening, for this alone if for no other excellence, he deservedly holds high rank. Rousseau 1812-1867 was one of the foremost of the recognized leaders, and probably the most learned landscapist of this century. A man of many moods and methods he produced in variety with rare versatility. Much of his work was experimental, but at his best he had a majestic conception of nature, a sense of its power and permanence, its volume and mass, that often resulted in the highest quality of pictorial poetry. In color he was rich and usually warm, in technique firm and individual, in sentiment at times quite sublime. At first he painted broadly and won friends among the artists and sneers from the public, then in his middle style he painted in detail, and had a period of popular success, in his late style he went back to the broad manner, and died amid quarrels and vexations of spirits, his long-time friend and companion, Jules Dupre 1812-1889, hardly reached up to him. Though a strong painter in landscape and marine, 
He was a good but not great colorist, and, technically, his brush was broad enough but sometimes heavy. His late work is inferior in sentiment and labored in handling. Dios 1808-1876 was allied to a Rousseau name and method, though not so sure nor so powerful a painter. He had fancy and variety in creation that sometimes ran to a license, and in color he was clear and brilliant, never very well trained. His drawing is often indifferent and his light distorted, but these are more than atoned for by delicacy and poe.